as Angela mentioned, our text for today comes from Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 16. This is how Matthew begins the story of Jesus. A record of the ancestors of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Aram. Aram was the father of Aminabad. Aminabad was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David, the king. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the father of Abijah. Abijah was the father of Asaph. Asaph was the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was the father of Joram. Joram was the father of Uzziah. Uzziah was the father of Jotham. Jotham was the father of Ahaz. Ahaz was the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh. Manasseh was the father of Amos. Amos was the father of Josiah. Josiah was the father of Jeconiah and his brothers. This was the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile of Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shiltiel. Shiltiel was the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the father of Abiad. Abiad was the father of Eliakim. Eliakim was the father of Azor. Azor was the father of Zadok. Zadok was the father of Achim. Achim was the father of Eliad. Eliad was the father of Eleazar. Eleazar was the father of Mathan. Mathan was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Are you still awake? If you are asking yourself, why on earth are we reading this passage, that is a fair question. But today is a Sunday led by Presbyterian women, and two of the three Presbyterian women's circles have been studying this passage all year. So I wanted to give us a chance as a congregation to dip our toes in and see what they've been wrestling with and learning from. So this is how Matthew starts the story of Jesus. It is not the most exciting entrance of all. On first glance, it looks like a totally normal genealogy. So-and-so begets so-and-so, so-and-so begets so-and-so, so-and-so begets, and on and on and on. But if you look at the names closely, there are five women in this genealogy, which is unusual. Genealogies list the fathers of each person. But in this genealogy, we have Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and the wife of Uriah, whose name is Bathsheba, even though she doesn't get that listed, and then Mary, the mother of Jesus. So why are they in there? Why would Matthew go to the trouble or do the unusual thing to 
include these women? And why these women instead of any others? What do they show us about Jesus, about God? Mary, we're probably familiar with, Mary, the mother of Jesus. But what about those other four, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and the wife of Uriah? We might need a refresher on some of those. There's Tamar. Tamar's from way back, back in the time of the patriarchs. And she's married to the son of a man named Judah. So Judah is her father-in-law. And her husband dies which means her father-in-law, Judah, should extend his protection over her, welcome her into his household, and take care of her for the rest of her life. That's his responsibility. But he doesn't do that. He casts her out. So she is entirely without any protection or any support or any economic status. She is completely vulnerable. So she takes matters into her own hands. She disguises herself as a prostitute and tricks her father-in-law. And he offers to pay with a baby goat, as you do. He didn't have a baby goat with him, though, because who travels around with a baby goat for this eventuality? So he offers his personal seal as collateral. Each person has their own seal. This is his and his alone. So he offers that to her as collateral. He doesn't know who she is. Well, she gets pregnant, and it's a big scandal, and her life is in danger. And she comes to the city gates and pulls out that seal and says, you are the one. Shames him in front of all the elders. He takes her into his household. The Bible says he never took advantage of her again and protects her all the days of her life, the way he was supposed to. That's Tamar. That's one of Jesus' grandmothers. Rahab was a foreigner, a prostitute living in Canaan at the time when the Israelites were getting ready to invade Jericho. And everyone is terrified of this coming invasion. And spies come to Rahab's brothel and say, hide us. Now, that's a difficult decision for someone whose land is about to be invaded. But Rahab realizes this is a chance to save her family. And so she welcomes the spies in and hides them. And before she lets them out through the wall, through a secret opening, she extracts a promise from them. When you come and invade, you will not kill me or my family. And the story is that she and her family are the only survivors of the invasion of Jericho. She took matters into her own hands. That's one of Jesus' grandmothers. Then there's Bathsheba. Matthew doesn't actually use her name, and I think that's part of the point. He calls her the wife of Uriah, which she was. She was married. Her husband was at war. She was bathing one day. King David watched. 
Now, there's nothing in the text that says she was doing this in a seductive manner. King David just looked. Now, in that time where there's not widespread or not any running water, and in cultures today where there's not widespread running water and you bathe outside, it is simply done that you don't look. Just as much as we would not peer over a bathroom stall. People bathe and you don't look. But King David looked. And he didn't look away, even though she was married. And he sent for her. When the king sends for you, it is not a request. It is a command. And she gets pregnant. And David tries to cover his tracks and sends for Uriah to come home from the war to be with Bathsheba. When Uriah won't do that, David has him killed. That's Bathsheba. But she takes matters into her own hands and in the course of her life uses every bit of leverage she has to ensure that her son Solomon will be the one who takes the throne when David dies. That's Bathsheba. And then there's Ruth, who we might be more familiar with. Ruth was a Moabite, the most hated of Israel's enemies. And I got him out of order. Ruth comes before Bathsheba. Anyway, there's Ruth. She's a Moabite. She's one of the most hated of Israel's enemies. And she and her mother-in-law both lose their husbands. And so they're in deep mourning, and they head back to Naomi's hometown. And not only are they in mourning, their lives shattered, but they are economically deeply vulnerable. But together they identify a wealthy, distant relative. Maybe he can save them. So they come up with a plan together for how they're going to get his attention. And then Ruth does some kind of dicey, maybe seductive things to get his attention. And he marries her. And that's Ruth. She took matters into her own hands, too. She's one of Jesus' grandmothers. These are four of his grandmothers. Can you imagine the other 40? I want to hear their stories. Now, you can find approximately a million books that will refer to these women as the bad girls of the Bible. Let's be clear, they're not girls. They are grown women. And they are not bad. They are examples of scrappy, crafty, resilient survival in the face of a violent, sinful society. If there is sin in their stories, it is in the people who were supposed to protect them, who abdicated their responsibilities. They are not defined by the choices they made. They are defined by where their lives went what flowed from their lives, this life that led ultimately to Christ. 
These are stories of power. Scrappy, crafty, resilient power. When we talk about the power of God, I think we have to include this kind of power as well. There is sin in this genealogy, that's for sure. There's Abraham. He repeatedly offered up his wife to more powerful men. Jacob lied and cheated his blind father. Rehoboam lost most of the kingdom of Israel through arrogance and greed. Ahaziah was a mass murderer, just like his father was. There's plenty of sin here. Whatever our own vices are, whatever sins have been passed down from our ancestors, we can find it here. And so this is a genealogy of the power of God, but also the mercy of God. No matter who we are or what we've done or what our people have done in the past, God has the power to bring new life out of that. This genealogy holds it all, the power of God and the mercy of God. And this is where Jesus comes from. I love it. Mercy, brokenness, woundedness, scrappy, crafty, resilient survival. This is the mercy of God and the power of God. It is a different image of God than we sometimes have. But this is what love is like. It has the power to redeem our deepest failings and to stand with us in times of resistance and subversion. And there's nothing we need to hide from this love. Not our scrappy, crafty, resilient attempts at survival. And not our brokenness and woundedness either. Because love covers all and maybe most amazingly uses those dark and dusty corners of our lives to bring out something new. Something saving. New life in a worn and weary world. And for that, thanks be to God. Amen.